Thank you, Mitch, so much for joining us today. It's been, I've been wanting to have you on the show for a long time because a common theme keeps coming up in all the other podcasts. And I know if I'm going to be talking about DMT, who better to do it with than the writer and director of DMT, The Spirit Molecule. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Yeah. It's, it's good to be here and finally make this happen. So you call yourself a culture hacker. Why <laughs> <laughs> Why is that? You're just ha hacking psychedelics back into the mainstream or, or just in Hopefully general? Hopefully just new ideas, new thoughts, new ways of trying to experience the world, see the world. And <clears throat> a lot of times I'm feeling like the, uh, the story that we've been operating under is extremely outdated. Um, and so I like to twist that story up a little bit, you know, mix it up, get people to... Uh, mainly just look at things from a different perspective, even if it's just for a split second. Um, and I think sometimes it can just be that one moment that gets them to pause and stop and can make a huge difference in their life. So I like to, to tweak a little bit um, and, and all, for good, you know, for positive. Yeah. And, and I love how you yeah. do that because so many people waste so much energy just trying to fix the old. And instead, you're just creating, completely creating new paradigms and new trains of thought. You know? I hope so. Um, and hopefully make it a difference. I feel like uh, the spirit molecule has done that in some ways. And it's been interesting as far as a, a culture hack. Um, taking the film out and seeing the audience respond to it have 80 year old women in the audience and they are just so excited to talk about what the hell they just saw. <laughs> or you have a you know 18 year old kid and just like, okay, what does this mean? And just having those questions start to pick up. Um, I think it's it's had its culture hack and it will continue to have its culture hack. Yeah, I know whenever so, I go on Netflix or whatever and scroll down, I'm always seeing DMT, the spirit molecule. People have fortunately and unfortunately pirated it on YouTube. It just seems like it's reaching that critical mass and more and more people are finding out and thinking, okay, what what is this DMT, mm -hmm. dimethyl, tryptamine, businessmen's trip, whatever you want to call it. <laughs> Yeah, it's uh, it's out there, and I know that it's getting ripped, and that's awesome as far as I'm concerned. Um, that just shows me that the power of it, as you were saying, really has hit this critical mass, and it will, I think it's going to continue to. I don't think this film's going to go away anytime soon. It's it's hopefully wedging its way into kind of the cultural ecology, and it's going to stay for a while. Um, yeah, it, it's uh, we pull it down occasionally on YouTube, but at the same time, I get in there and I was like, "Oh, a million views, a million views, yeah. a hundred thousand views, two hundred thousand views," and it just shows you the thirst great. for this knowledge. Absolutely. And I, I think what's so profound about DMT is that it is so quick. Yeah. It's it's just ten minutes in in this time frame, and and people come back reporting having life-changing mystical experiences mm. in 10 minutes on the substance that's not neurotoxic or, or really harmful for your body. And, and so it's just so fascinating for so many people. Like you can have that happen to you in 10 minutes. Yeah. And then people want to come back and share their stories. They, they don't know how to understand them. Um, it's completely ineffable. You don't have to put words to what the experience was. And but the fact that it's so profound, they want to get it out. They want to be able to share the story. And you sound a little fucking crazy when you go out there and you start talking about this to people that are outside of this experience. There is this look of like, okay, sounds great, <laughs> but uh, maybe we'll reconnect soon. Um, but there's there are these commonalities. And those are the hard things to deny um, for myself, but also for a lot of other people that have gone through the experience. Um, why are we having these mystical experiences traveling to other dimensions, if you will, and, and talking to entities or them talking to us or communicating with us. Um, and then being able to address life issues, life patterns, um, emotional places that have kind of been a part of us and, and may have caused negative behaviors, you know, throughout our lives. Um, and you can start picking some of that stuff apart um, and getting a sense that, you know, your psyche is not run by well, it could be run by others, but that you can have some control over that. You can, you can mm. pull that back and, and start to reevaluate yourself and, and hopefully make some changes uh, in your life. Uh, that, that ultimately, I think, is why we're seeking these experiences, um, not necessarily just to get off. This is about you know, making some big changes in, in life, but also for the world. Oh. And a lot of people listening might not be familiar with DMT and exactly what it is. Uh, could you... Refresh everyone, what, what is DMT in your mind and, sure. and what got you so fascinated with it that you wanted to spend so much of your time making this film to, to share with the world? Sure. Um, well, DMT, dimethyltryptamine, very simple compound that comes from tryptophan. A lot of people are familiar with that from 
Thanksgiving dinner or turkey, and they're like, oh, tryptophan, yes. But it's a simple, you know, simple amino acid, um, basic kind of building block of life, and potentially every living organism has DMT or has the ability to make DMT. Now, that gets into some interesting philosophical questions. Why is it everywhere, and is there this kind of base communication that can happen amongst living organisms? So... Yeah, it's all over nature, plants, animals, ourselves, um, and then also now in this new psychedelic ecology where people are experiencing these very mystical experiences. And that's really what got me into this. Um, I had never heard of DMT. This was in 2002 when I first had my, my, my first experience. I had heard and tried just about everything else under the sun prior to that. And the gentleman that brought the DMT, where was a small gathering, uh, nobody else had heard about it. It was just this one guy, and it was kind of like this is a special experience, and he did a beautiful job facilitating. Um, we went one at a time. He set up a beautiful space, and I had a pure death experience. And he said he had never seen a look of fear on somebody's face that he had for the first minute um, of my experience, and I was completely frightened. Um, I did feel like I was dying, and then after about a minute, settled into the most beautiful experience of my life and, and was just literally swimming with it. My arms were kind of up in the air, moving around. So can you, can you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. Like step by step, what happened? So you, how did you <laughs> take the, the DMT? The <laughs> yeah. This was Give in us a the, let version. us know how it happened. Sure. Sure. Yeah. This was in a smokable version, um, three inhalations roughly. And within that, well, right after the, the second one started to really see the room morph and change. And, and that's really alarming when it happens that quick. Um, it's one thing when you have an LSD or a mushroom experience that tends to 30 minutes or an hour where you can kind of ease into it. Uh, you don't have that opportunity with DMT. It's, it's there, it's quick. And once I started to feel that, I was able to take another inhalation and I was, I was blowing that one out. I don't remember what exactly happened next because it happened so quick. There was a lot of information and things just flooding my mind. I felt like I was traveling. Um, down a wormhole or there was something about movement. You know, I was, I was moving um, and I didn't know how else to describe that except for kind of through space and time and other dimensions because it was so overwhelming and there was so much stuff happening. Uh, I even remember having a, a thought that, oh my gosh, you know, my parents are going to have to find out about this and, you know, how, how bad is this going to be as, I, as I'm dying? Um, but then came to that... Uh, popped out in this space. It's large dome space. This is a pretty common experience. I think that people have a lot of bright geometric patterns that are moving and morphing extremely quick. And out in the distance, uh, at this macro level, this uh, describer is a cat woman. Um, and it was just a face. And as soon as I recognized that, that face out there, it shot forward in a split second. And it was right in front of my face at this kind of micro level. And it was this play back and forth. As soon as I saw it at the micro, it was jumping back out to the macro. And it was just back and forth. And that's about all I remember from the experience. Um, the most profound part about it, though, is coming back. Um, the second I came back, I knew I was going to make a documentary about it. I didn't know what it was. I didn't know it was the spirit molecule. But I was just like, what the hell is this about? <laughs> and why are people not talking about this? Yeah. Um, and then the other really profound thing that happened on that first experience was I had had a lot of otherworldly experiences throughout my life since I was a kid, some of my earliest memories, um, traveling to other dimensions, um, encountering entities. And a lot of times that's going to get you sent to a psychiatrist. And, and it did in a lot of ways. And I learned how to shut up about that and not talk about those experiences. And was this when but, you were sleeping or just in the waking state or, or just throughout your childhood? Yeah, a little bit of everything. Um, sometimes wide awake, sometimes kind of in between that, that sleep paralysis state where you're somewhat awake, but not really awake. Mm -hmm. um, uh, dream states that were kind of realer than real. But the second coming back from that, that first DMT experience, all of those things were, all the anxiety around those was gone. Uh, and it felt okay that this was part of the human experience and that there is nothing wrong with, with having these experiences. And so it, it relieved me a lot um, of stress and anxiety from those experiences. Um, mm -hmm. It allowed me to just accept them. So that is kind of what got me on the path. And I didn't want to touch psychedelics or didn't want to touch DMT again until I knew more about it. So I spent about four years, you know, diving into whatever I could find out there. A lot of that was, was Terrence's work and then happened across Dr. Strassman's work. And mm -hmm. that was, as soon as I read the book, I knew that that was the way to tell the story. 
that this was you have your science, your spirituality. It's going to have some recognition for those that are kind of outside of this realm, but can say, okay, well, this was at a recognized university with a psychiatrist and um, individuals that were participating in the study were lawyers and doctors and your normal, normal day-to-day people. I think that's so. what's so mind-boggling about your documentary is that you're expecting to see people who are more trippers per se, and and the majority of people in DMT, the spirit molecule, are professionals. Yeah, and it's really strange to see professionals and and older female doctors describing a DMT trip, and all of a sudden you're just like, <laughs> wait, what? What's going yeah. on here? And it, and it really, um, for me, it just, A, solidified my desire to one day try it because I was like, okay, if all these professionals think it's okay and these doctors are saying that it's not neurotoxic and it's not addictive, then then I think health-wise will be okay. And, and B, it just really lets you realize uh, how amazing this substance is in producing spiritual experiences. Mm. Yeah, and it was really interesting to get back, or, or the the group of individuals that we interviewed that were part of the study. They hadn't talked about this in over a decade, and once they came back, it was common to hear them say, "This was the most profound experience of my life, and it's changed my life." And and that was different for everybody, um, but it really was that big of a deal for them that um, they wanted to come back and share that with the rest of the world. One of the women actually had to interview me before she would come on camera, which I thought was great because it's, it's almost opening up a space to, about mm-hmm. yourself and really kind of opening that up to the world can, can be alarming. Um, and also puts you at a place where, oh, okay, you sound a little nuts. But, uh, after we went through that interview and she understood that my intention was to, to make a respectful documentary and try to show Dr. Strassman's work in, in a positive light, um, which I think it is a positive thing. Um, it made the storytelling in the film a lot easier um, to, to take it out to the masses. Uh, not easy in the sense of trying to cut all that footage because yeah. there was a lot of amazing ideas and a lot of amazing people talking about what this experience was. So it was, a, it was about a two-year edit process. So, and I bet you had a lot of pressure on your shoulders just knowing you were going to be the one to translate this message to the mainstream, or maybe at that time you didn't know how big the documentary was going to become, but I could imagine that was Definitely a, a lot a of responsibility. Yeah. Um, I always had a sense, even from that first time I came back, that the documentary is going to have a lot of legs, or, or it could, you know, if done if done correctly, or at least done in a way that, that was approachable to people. Um but I, I still feel that responsibility. It's not something that goes away. This is not something to mess around with. These are, are very sacred and um, precious experiences and compounds in medicine. So don't want to see what happened in the 60s happen now. Um, I think there's a whole, just a different mentality that's around psychedelic use now. There's a lot more spiritual and kind of health and benefit that's coming out of the entire community, which I think is great. Uh, this isn't just about partying. This isn't about mm. going out and just getting high. Um, so bringing that message out that way and encouraging people to really do their research, um, know what they're getting into, know who they are as well before they go into the escapes is, is important. So I always like to reiterate that and, and kind of make sure that that's part of the message as well, because they're not for everybody. Of of course. Like some people, you either have the calling to go that route or don't, but Mm -hmm. don't get convinced (laughs) to try. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Regardless, anytime I've tried to convince anyone to join me at a ceremony or anything, they've always had a bad time. Mm. And then it's my fault, you know. So so I think you have to kind of feel that calling. You have to be ready to do yeah. this work because it is it is work. Sometimes some some really deep stuff is brought up and Absolutely. and memories that you don't even remember you remember that could be pretty traumatic come up. I think that what's exciting about DMT is just seeing how well it's being used like on a spiritual level mm. versus even a medicinal level. I, I see it as being one of the more spiritual uh, of these medicines. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you think of that? I mean, do you think that that people are using DMT for, for health reasons or to have these mystical experiences or for a little bit of both? I think it's a little bit of both. I also think there's a little bit of frivolous nature to what's happened with smoke DMT right now. Um, you know, you go to a festival and you're smelling it on the dance floor, which to me is a little strange, but that- So people would just smoke this in when you're out for 10 minutes and-, and if- Yeah. And sometimes it's not even, the, you know, the full experience, but there's just, you know, a slight draw and they're having the experience. To me, that doesn't seem like the right set and setting, but it is happening. Um, and even then, I think that there is an element of 
spiritual approach to that, even though it wouldn't be my, <laughs> my local or my place to go. Um, but I think it's a combination of both. People are seeking spiritual experience. I think that feeds right into health and wellness though, um, because mm -hmm. we have seen with ayahuasca, not necessarily with, with smokable DMT, but with ayahuasca, how it's going to have very good spiritual benefits, um, as well as, as health benefits. Um, it does have the sense of cleaning you out, getting you in touch with what you're doing, putting in your body, also how you're interacting with the world. And, and to me, all that is spiritual and health and wellness. So it's, it's all intertwined. So. And what's the difference between ayahuasca and DMT as people are smoking this DMT? Sure. Um, ayahuasca is a, it's a plant mixture of, of two different plants. Um, DMT, the psychoactive element of it is actually the, the second or the, um, the add-on later, which comes from typically Chacuna in, in the Amazon. But the ayahuasca vine itself is, is really where a lot of the power and the medicine is because it's the, it's the MOAI that allows your body not to break it down, but it is also kind of the, the meat or the sacred part of, of what ayahuasca is. And it's, it's comes by the name, you know, the vine of ayahuasca. So, it's not orally active, uh, DMT by itself. You have to have this MOAI that's going to allow your body not to break down the DMT and, and give you that experience. The smokable version is very quick, um, and that is just kind of really just rushing your body with it. Uh, but there is no MOAI. It's really quick. You're back. It's a lot more if I was going to simplify it, kind of a mechanical space as opposed to the ayahuasca space, which is a lot more earthy and you can work with it a little bit more. There's more time for a narrative. You can feel it out and kind of move within it where the DMT experience is just like, bam, 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 come back. And you kind of question yourself, like what the hell just happened? Yeah. <laughs> so, and so for someone seeking some type of, of healing, like emotional healing, mm -hmm. would you recommend the ayahuasca or the DMT, or it doesn't really matter as long as you just get to that, that state? I, I lean towards ayahuasca. I think mm -hmm. uh, there's there's more benefit there because you're having to set yourself up prior to going through the experience. Once you decide to take the medicine, the experience is essentially started there. And there's a dieta that's prior to that. So you're cleansing your body. You're getting your body ready at the same time that's getting your mind ready. And then there's time afterwards. Uh, the reintegration part, I think, is, is really the key. Um, you can have these big mind-blowing experiences, but if there's not a way for you to come back and have a way to integrate that into your life with a story, but also just your day to day. You know, what are, what have you learned from the medicine and what are you bringing back? Is it how you're eating? Is it how you're treating people? Um, how does that fit into your mythology? Um, but it's, it's gives you, I think a little bit more to work with and can be a little bit longer lasting experience than, than just the DMT. I, I think that's a great point you mentioned about integration because so many, especially now with this business booming, so many centers are just bringing people down. They give them the ayahuasca. And then these people are having revelations that their entire life is upside down. <laughs> they're married to the wrong person. They're in the wrong job. They have the wrong lifestyle. And then they're just sent back to the U.S. Yeah. And it's like, okay, you here you now? go. <laughs> yeah. So we had a, a psychotherapist on the show who was talking about how that's kind of become a, a new level of clientele for her. All these mm. people returning from ayahuasca trips that need to figure out how to integrate all of these insights they've been given and really just slowly transform their lives to get, mm. to get what they want. Because as you mentioned, if you don't do the integration, you'll have the great experience and come back and then continue being in your job that you're unhappy in, sure. your marriage you're unhappy in. And, and nothing will change. This isn't the magic bullet. I think a lot of people are kind of going, not a lot, but there are, there's a good number that are expecting to just take this, take ayahuasca or psychedelics in general one time, and, and that's going to be the be-all, end-all. I'm not healed, and life is better. And it's not the case. This is something that you continually work with, and it's an evolving self. It's an evolving uh, experience. It's an evolving nature of just life. So the integration is important, and knowing that it's not going to just it's not the be all end all. Yeah. So as far as DMT goes, like how often do you do, I know on average, most people, <laughs> I, don't do it. I have no idea what you're talking about. When you're in countries where it's legal, <laughs> uh -huh. um, how, how often do people do DMT? Is it just like when you just want to have that experience and kind of let go or when you get stressed out or, or when you just need kind of to hit that reset button or refresh? I, I know with ayahuasca, sometimes people go down once a year, twice a year, sure. but what is it, what is the frequency like with DMT or does it just depend on the person? I think it depends on the person. Um, you know, for the, like I said, the first time I tried it, it took me four years before I wanted to even 
revisit it. Um, and it just happened to kind of come back at that moment. And then during the process of making the film, you know, there was research and development going on, <laughs> personal research and development to make sure I was getting the message right. Did um, the whole crew have to go through that so no, they really understood fact, or just you? No, in fact, most of them hadn't and never mm -hmm. had, even my, my visual effects team had never tried psychedelics. Wow. Uh, and so I was trying to explain what that experience was like and interpret that for them so they could then put up these beautiful visuals. And I think they did a really nice job of, of pulling that off. But uh, I know Jan Kunin when he did Blueberry, uh, he had his entire visual effects team drink ayahuasca, which makes sense for uh, for that particular piece, and it, it paid off. Um, but yeah, it's it's not that important necessarily in my life to continually take it these days. Mm -hmm. um, and again, I do think it's kind of different for everybody. Sometimes I think it's a little bit too much with people. There's a lot of like, oh my gosh, this is a great experience, and it's boom, 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 boom. But again, the narrative's not there. And especially if you keep blowing your mind out like that, it gets harder and harder to kind of integrate some of that stuff. Um, ayahuasca is a bigger part of my life, I think, and, mm -hmm. and utilize that for, again, just for healing, spiritual purposes as well. And, you know, several times a year at least, I, I think I, I try to work with the medicine. So. And that's what I love about ayahuasca is because it's in – you don't just do it in your living room. You have a more organized ceremonial setting uh, with, with a healer there. It just seems like it's a lot more um, of a ritual, I guess, I guess than, than DMT use. Absolutely. And and I think that's because of the, the history of it. You know, it's always been a part of the ceremonial aspect and there's there's tradition behind that. And that's what really makes it special, I think, that, that really gives people the opportunity to, to let go to know that they're hopefully in a safe place, depending on the, you know the right people and stuff that they're with, um, but that it that it will give you that, yeah. And how have you seen DMT change uh, just <laughs> since you first tried it in, yeah. in 2002 to now? Because by then, I'm sure in 2002, if you'd gone up to someone and said, "Oh, have you heard of dimethyltryptamine?" they they'd say, "What the hell is he talking about?" Absolutely. But now it seems like it's more of just a household name. It has changed. Um, yeah, when I first tried it in 2002, it was extremely rare to even hear about it. I think Joe had already had his podcast or um, a podcast interview, a radio interview, and talked a little bit about it. And so a lot of people had started to hear about it through Joe Rogan again after Terrence. Um, but now it's everywhere. Um, I'll be standing in a bar or a restaurant or something. This has happened several times, and I'll just hear somebody next to me start talking about DMT as it's just part of the normal kind of vernacular at this point. Yeah, it's fascinating it's just to see how how quickly it's spread and and how quickly it works. Well, what was it the other day? There was a uh, there was a bust of a DMT lab here in LA. Mm -hmm. um, one of the reports said that in, from 2006 until 2014 that DMT use had doubled. Um, I think that number is a little low. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I think it's probably a little bit more than doubles uh, for the last seven years, roughly. Well, you know, we'll why see. do you think that DMT and all these plant medicines, I mean, you look at ayahuasca now, mm. it's spread, it's all over the place here in Los Angeles. And we were just talking about how we think it's now in the Midwest and probably every single state in the U.S. Mm -hmm. Why do you think these medicines are spreading so quickly? Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, specifically with ayahuasca, I really like Dennis McKenna's approach on this plant intelligence moving its way out around the planet to to kind of help rebalance things uh, that mother earth it's its own entity and its own consciousness so all right humans are doing a little screwiness here and and how do we communicate that back to to make some correction and i i think ayahuasca spread herself out from the amazon to to help facilitate some of that um obviously we're in some interesting times lots of change um but uh i think a big part of that is just uh, rebalancing our relationship with nature. Uh, that's, I think, a, a big chunk of why we're having so many issues in the around the planet. Um, is just pulling ourselves out of what we think we can be separate from, which we're not. We're very much a part of it. And uh, the communication with the plants, I think, will help us kind of get back to that point. So how, how are the plants doing that exactly? Because I, I try to explain this too, yeah. but everyone has their own vision of, of what's going on here. Um, how, how do you think the plants are working to transform the course of, of humanity? Well, plants communicate with us and they communicate with us through molecules. Um, so, you know, through Dennis's approach, it's like taking these molecules, whether you're eating it, whether you're ingesting it through medicine or through a brew, that the compounds, the makeup of that 
um, come in and they literally talk to us or communicate through us. Our, our bodies are wired to receive this information. And as it's starting to spread out, I think it's making a difference. You hear it in the ayahuasca community. Like, I want to be healthier. I want the planet to be healthier. They start changing our ways of being. And as that thing starts to grow, um, I think you can see how this planet intelligence is, is kind of infiltrating or hacking even our systems to, to hopefully make us better people and hopefully change the planet a little bit. Do you believe so, in the theory that ayahuasca is actually getting in and changing epigenetics and, and changing these flaws we have in our DNA one person at a time? Yeah, I wouldn't even say flaws, though. Mm -hmm. I think it's just a, a kind of a renegotiation or, or a reorganization of, of those things. Um, and as far as the epigenetic aspect, I think that there is a lot of hurt and a lot of pain that's kind of been put on our all over the world, but let's take a look at America. Um, through the world wars, uh, there's a lot of post-traumatic stress that's happened even before Vietnam with World War II. And I, I saw that in my own family and how that stuff had carried down. And that generation didn't talk about it. So it brought us a lot of abuse. It brought, brought us a lot of alcoholism. And that stuff is still playing out, playing out today. But with the people that are starting to come to this community or, or come into uh, using plant medicines, uh, some of that stuff's being erased and, and reorganized. And I, I always hate to break it down as bad or good or, or evil or anything like that, because I think it's, it's all part of this, this wonderful ebb and flow of a system. And mm -hmm. it's just about reorganizing that a little bit. And I, and I do think the plants are doing that. I really do think they are. So. I, I've seen several people even just come through on this show, talk about how the ayahuasca showed them, um, say this one individual was abused by his father mm -hmm. and he'd never, he carried so much anger about the abuse and to the point, you know, he, it was affecting his everyday life and, and he was walking around carrying all this trauma. And on one ayahuasca experience, his dad appeared. Wow. And and came up to him and said, "Come on, let's let's go outside." And he's like, "Okay, everyone, I I got to leave. My dad's here. His dad had passed away, so it was the okay. spirit of his father." And then his dad sat him down and showed him that he had been abused, and his grandfather had been abused, and his yeah. grandfather's grandfather had been abused, and it was just this cycle of negativity and trauma that had been spread into his own life and his DNA. Mm -hmm. And and then at that point, he realized he could fix it. He could be the one to finally purge all that hate and trauma and move forward healed, which he's done. Excellent. And I've seen that play out over and over and over. And yeah. that's why I do believe in that theory that it's, it's just getting rid of all the pain, all this trauma that we're carrying around. Cause if you think about it, if we don't have that anger, how, how are you going to harm other people? How are you going to take a job harming the environment? I think Absolutely. it's all this trauma acting out is, is why we're seeing this collective madness. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And it, and it does, it affects every aspect of your life. And I, I noticed it with my own, my own personal experiences, all of the, the traumas and things that I had gone through in my life were continually playing out. And a lot of times they were kind of hidden from my own conscious mind. I didn't really know that they were playing out that way, but upon further review, they absolutely <laughs> were. Um, and they were having a big impact on my life. I, you know, I had a hard time working with other people and staying in relationship or being in relationships that were positive, um, taking care of myself. Um, so they, they, they kept giving me this feedback, feedback, feedback of, of negativity and it was part of my life, but you can come out of that and we can change those things, which should be very hopeful for a lot of people. Um, just knowing that we can do that. And knowing you have the power. That's what I love yeah. about these medicines. It's so empowering because I think Western medicine has taken away the power from us because we think, okay, I must wait until my doctor's appointment, you know, <laughs> sure. to, to treat this illness. Or what if, if the doctor says this, then that 100% is going to happen. And I must yeah. use this prescription medication. And you're just become so helpless. Yeah. You're just, you, you might as well just walk in the hospital and lay back and like have your way with me, you know? And, <laughs> and that's what I love about psychedelic medicines, especially when it comes to mental health, because it enables so many people to, to actually get in there and, and work to heal themselves. Yeah. Not that it works for everybody, but the the success rates are pretty damn high yeah. so <laughs> yeah yeah it, and it's it's happening uh, it really is um uh, it's speeding up speeding up dramatically it feels like so so what do you think we have medical marijuana is pretty much going to be legalized nationwide I, I see psychedelics riding on the back of that. I just know my own personal experience you yeah. might agree as well is that I was expecting opening up a website completely focusing on psychedelic medicines and, and news. I, I thought I'd be chastised a little more than I had been, but most people are just like, oh yeah, we were lied to about sure. medicinal marijuana. Have we also been lied to about psychedelics? 
So it's been pretty dramatic to see the lack of criticism. Uh, so that to me is indicative of a nation that's having uh, a mind shift and yeah. now ready to accept these medicines. Definitely. What are your hopes or what do you, what do you see happening in the future? Yeah, I, I'm extremely hopeful that we can get these into somewhat of a normal state for, for people to benefit from. Um, and I'm hoping that it's kind of riding that, that wave of the medical marijuana. I think it's going to be a harder push uh, than the medical marijuana. But to your point, um, Americans and Westerners and just people in general, populations in general, are starting to wake up to the fact that we have been told a lot of things that may not be <laughs> true and or for our best benefit. And once we can kind of start waking up to some of that, then I think it becomes a little easier to, to start pitching these things. One thing that becomes hard for me, I think it's an even harder pitch for people, is embodying consciousness in other things besides ourselves. So looking at plants and saying, oh, they have consciousness and they can communicate with us, that's a hard step for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. uh, it's hard for a lot of the materialist and, and even hardcore Christians to even go there, which seems strange to me because everything here on this planet as told in the Bible and by God is, is, is here for a particular reason. Um, but pushing it that way and, and, and trying to um, keep the message towards healing towards health, towards spirituality, that's going to play out, I think, in the long run. And also thinking about all these vets that are coming back uh, from war or people that have gone through some major abuse and have a lot of post-traumatic stress. Once we start to see some of these things, and it's happening more and more, and even some research going on with MDMA, when you can see some broken people that are getting healing, it's going to be hard to deny that. And it's going to be hard to stop that um, once a lot of these family members are getting healed. Um, so I, I'm hopeful. I don't know if it's going to happen overnight by any means. Uh, medical marijuana and hopefully even just recreational. I think it should be uh, the, in the next seven years, 10 years. Hopefully, I think that might be the case. I, I think it might be a little longer for us to get to the other part. I don't think it'll ever be a recreational thing here for, mm -hmm. well, it is, but not in a legal sense. Um, yeah. I think there'll be a medical and a, and a, a lockdown container on how, that, how those things get put into place. Um, but it's really, to me, the war on consciousness. Like, how can another entity outside of myself tell me what I can do with my consciousness? It's a big issue for me. And I think my life allows me to do that as long as I'm not infringing on others. Um, and I should be able to explore my consciousness um, and hopefully benefit myself and hopefully the planet because of it. So. And it's like Mother Nature has given us all these tools to heal ourselves, but instead you're you're not going to be able to take that. I, I just don't get it. I, I look at psychedelics as being the natural plant medicines as being like no different than the vegetables you put on your salad or <laughs> other plants you in consume ways, for yeah. healing, <laughs> you know, except they grow in cow shit. Yeah. But um, but it, it's just it's just one of those things. It's just so mind boggling because I have been I grew up in the Midwest and I was constantly fed all this propaganda and now it's like shifting my thought and thinking I should have the right. Mm -hmm. If I if I want to go smoke DMT and go on this 10 minute long, really spiritual, amazing experience that I see, you know, 45 year old female doctors talking about changing their lives. Why, why can't why can't I do I that? that? Like, sure. And, and people are coming back saying their hearts are opened up, that they they now realize there is a God because so many people are going through what I went through as well as that. I, I grew up Catholic and realized a I'm lot sorry. of, no. <laughs> yeah. well, I just realized it really, I lost my faith in, in everything yeah. because I yeah. saw, I remember being 12 and I was like, how come women can't be priests and, yeah. and what's yeah. going on here? And why is this a lie and, and this happening? And, and I just lost my faith in religion and in God. Mm. And, and so what psychedelics have given me is that spirituality back. Yeah. And, and that, that's something, that's an energy that I carry with me now that makes me excited to get out of bed. Cool. It makes me not that's fear cool. death. It makes me appreciate love. And, and I'm sitting there thinking, everybody should have this gift. And why, why the hell are we allowing and accepting for these to be made illegal? And we're told mm. instead you must suffer. Mm. And, and, and with lack of spirituality, lack of happiness, lack of direction in life. Well, and those that have had the experience can see how this might be problematic to the powers that be, if you will. Yeah. Um, it's, it's hard to control a population when, when people are having these experiences. So mm. I can see why that all went down and there was a whole frenzy around that. Um, 
my friend Steve the other day was even saying it's hard to go fight a war when you have in these experiences looking back into the 60s and with Vietnam. Uh, Young have you seen that video? A part of it. Which one? Oh, where they give the soldiers LSD. Oh yeah, the, the British soldiers. <laughs> yeah. You should YouTube yeah. it. It's on. It's, uh, just look, uh, giving soldiers LSD, and they all start laughing and playing with each other and climbing trees. Couldn't talk on the phone. <laughs> yeah. Just, yeah, it was. It was. It's pretty funny. <laughs> but right on your point, you yep. know, I mean, people aren't going to go fight when they're exactly awake. Yeah, yeah. and and they they can see through some of that and look at the look at reality through a different perspective and like, wow, why are we killing people? And, and why are we fighting these pointless wars? Um, so I can see why they put those into place, but I can also see why it's time to change that. Mm. And I, I think something unique we're seeing is that people who are going down to the Amazon and they're having these life-changing, mystical, completely cathartic experiences, coming back almost new people, Instead of dropping out of society, I kind of I see them doing what what you're doing and what what mm. I'm doing. Instead, saying, "Okay, well, how can I use this new knowledge to to shift society?" Absolutely. And and so I, I think that's where we're seeing a little bit of the change. This second coming of psychedelics is that as the people aren't tuning in or, or dropping out or whatever Timothy Leary would say, they're they're wanting to use this knowledge to help shape the course of humanity and put yeah. us on a more sustainable path because we're at such a critical time where it's. I believe it's like, I believe this is why these medicines are coming At so quickly because yeah. it's, it's sink or swim. Like we either mm -hmm. wake up now or we cannot continue to live the way that we're living. Absolutely. And, and it is interesting how the resurgence is happening right now and, and how it's really becoming this global thing. It's not just isolated on the West coast of America or in part of Europe. It's all over the planet. Uh, and that, that seems to give me this bigger glimmer of hope um, that it's hitting that many people, that, it, that, it, that it's getting to that critical mass to where it really can make a difference. And people are still interacting with society. You know, mm -hmm. they're not dropping out and just telling everybody up you. They're, they're participating. Yeah, uh, and they're participating sure. in ways that are very positive uh, with one another and for the, even amongst themselves and their families. So we should be supporting that. We should be encouraging that. Uh, this, is, this is important, important stuff. So. I keep having DMT come into my life. <laughs> so I say when, when things come Me three too. times. I don't know what's happening. Yeah. <laughs> just everywhere. <laughs> it's not, maybe it's because it's produced in your own yeah, brain yeah. and profusely in nature. But I, 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 so I'm on the, you know, I'm thinking about it and I'm kind of close to wanting to do it in a country where it's legal, sure. obviously. <laughs> and, um, and so can you explain to me just describe one of your most memorable DMT trips and, and tell us the knowledge mm. you took from that that you think may still be with you today. Wow. Um, let me explain an ayahuasca experience, maybe, if that's all right. Yeah, for okay. sure. Um, this was the first time I was down in Peru, 2008. We were shooting uh, part of the spirit molecule, and there was a great conference that was going on. We had Martina Hoffman, Dennis McKenna, uh, Jeremy Narby, uh, just a wonderful collection of individuals. And I'd never tried ayahuasca prior to that. And after the, this was my fifth experience during that, during that week. And we were all outside. There were 70 people in this group. Wow. It was huge. <laughs> it was massive underneath the full moon. And it was led by, uh, four female shamans. So the feminine energy was everywhere. <laughs> And within 15 minutes of drinking my cup, I went and sat back down and I was sitting Indian style and all of a sudden I kind of look up and so it was six women, uh, five Shipibo women that were not there, but were there. And my aunt, who is my spiritual savior, they all sat around me, two on either side and one at my feet and one at my head. And then I just had this huge rush of energy, like, like wind just kind of pushing through me. Um, and once they settled down, I knew they were there for the rest of the evening for me to, for, it felt like protection or just comfort. And once that kind of wave of energy came through, I just laid back and went through probably a two hour DMT experience, uh, with all the morphing shapes and stuff. And it was playful and it was fun, but there wasn't a whole lot going on beyond that. So it's just kind of this in between state and it was kind of like, all right, this is all right. Um, but then the spaceship, this UFO is all I can describe it about the size of a Frisbee wow. um, came and sat over my chest and right out of the front window, there were two little entities that were looking out at me and I thought, okay, this is a little weird, <laughs> but eyes wide open having this experience. And 
as soon as I kind of recognize it again, there's something about perceiving something and then it shifting off. And and it did. Um, as soon as I recognized the two lenses in there and this flying saucer, it sped off. And I don't know what the time difference was in and out of that, uh, but it came back a little bit later. And I'm mm. guessing maybe a 10 minute experience, but everything is so the time is, is, is not really relevant in these States. Um, but when it came back, it started dropping little green men out of the bottom of the ship, um, with huge white boots. <laughs> this was the weird part to me is they had these huge white boots and they were moving so effortlessly, but they were dropping down like ants thousands. And then it seemed like millions. And they were going through my nose and scrubbing my brain. And I'm viscerally feeling this happen as they're like scrubbing and watching them drop out at the same time being completely flabbergasted. I'd never had an experience where I'm seeing an, an aliens entities and also feeling it physically while I'm looking at it with eyes wide open. It felt wonderful. <laughs> it felt absolutely wonderful. It just felt like there was a lot of callous material that was on my brain that had been sitting there and building up over time that was just getting removed. And once that kind of happened and started to unfold, um, it sped away. And that was, that was kind of that part. Um, the next aspect of it were these turtle people. And uh, the only way mm -hmm. I can describe them is Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. They had these huge staffs. They walked kind of, you know, with their feet out, but they were popping in and out of my chest and through my belly. And it was just this huge rotation. It was like they were cleaning the insides of my body there. So it was this entire process of, of cleaning and, um, what seems like it would be a little alarming, uh, felt really nice. It was very ecstatic. Um, and it felt like it just moved a lot of, and reorganized things in a lot of ways. And once that piece happened, this was kind of coming towards the tail end. Now I got shown a film while I'm sitting there watching this thing that I knew was mine, but I've never, I don't know what it is yet, but I knew it was mine just through the characters, the, the shot layout, uh, color palette. And I knew this was a film that I was going to make in the future. I still don't know what that is, but I still have faith that, that, that it's going somewhere. It'll <laughs> turn itself up. Um, but what I got out of that, I think I'm still working with, um, but it's, there's still those glimmers of whether this is real or whether this is Memorex, you know, that's the big discussion. Is mm -hmm. this really opening up to other realms that you're experiencing or is it just kind of some weird feedback loop of your brain where you're having these experiences and trying to wrap some sort of a narrative around it? Um, to me, it doesn't matter if you have an experience that's real, whether or not somebody else can experience that or see that at the time it's real. And knowing that there are these larger energies that are pulsing in and out of us at all times um, and having an influence on our life, having an influence on our emotions, how we're interacting with the world. Um, I can be aware of those a little bit more. I'm not always aware of them. <laughs> I don't claim to be always aware of them, but sometimes it's just those moments and it can come back through just a memory of what that experience was or something might trigger that memory. Um, and that sets me back into that space and it says, okay, Take, take and evaluate what's going on in your life and try to look at maybe some of the negative patterns or what, what could be unfolding that won't be beneficial to you. And so it just gets me to come back and, and again, just kind of take stock um, and, and be okay with, you know, that we're not perfect per se, but we have the ability to kind of go in and keep working on ourselves and, and keep evolving you know, keep changing and going through these experiences to hopefully make us better people again. Um, and so I don't know if there's a lockdown hard knowledge that's come out of that experience or any other of my big psychedelic experiences, except for being humbled, just being like, wow, I don't know shit. And all I can do is, is, is experience and do my best to try to navigate that space in a responsible and, and hopefully clean way. So one of the women you interviewed for your film says that she believes Consciousness is not created in the brain, but instead the brain is an antenna to kind of allow us to download it. Do you mm. believe in that theory or? I think consciousness is everywhere. Mm. I think physicality is just a, an aspect of that. So I do see the brain not necessarily as organizing consciousness from the time we're born, but, but being that receiver. And I think there's more and more information that's starting to open up to that. Um, and with psychedelics, you can kind of see it as a radio tuner or if it's as a television receiver where you can tune into these different channels and see what's happening there on channel, whatever. <laughs> uh, so 
yeah, I think it could pop out and be kind of a, a receiver as opposed to kind of the generator of consciousness. I like to believe that anyways. <laughs> <laughs> I agree with you. I, I never Excellent. know if my, you know, so many people, I do meet a lot of people that have the train of thought that this is just all fabricated in your mind and you're just seeing uh, depictions of your own imagination. And But I, I just can't believe that. Like something in my gut has told me that this is, I've tapped into a higher source, a higher energy or, mm. or knowledge that I could not have created on my own. Because I've had images and seen things that I've never seen before in my life or been given information on uncertain things that I, I never knew about certain theories or or I, I could never have created this. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so so well, it's how it resonates with you too when you're in that experience. It's not about or at least for me, you're just like, wow, this really has a realer than real nature to it. And I don't know how mm -hmm. else to describe that unless you've been through that experience and you probably know that. Um, but it doesn't if even if it is just hallucination or your mind making this up who cares? It's yeah. fucking amazing <laughs> and it's changing people. So it shouldn't matter if it is just hallucination or not. It still has this profound effect on people. And how fascinating that we can have those experiences. Mm -hmm. It's just, it's mind boggling to me. So, And we should all have the right to have them. So Absolutely. hopefully, or you can go down to South America and experiment <laughs> or different islands around the world that have mushrooms. Or write a and... letter to your congressman and tell him how much you love DMT. <laughs> yes, exactly. If everyone who has watched your film, you know, the millions of people who've tried it, if they mm. would all just gather and, and try to push for legalization. <laughs> I don't know if it'll be that easy, but I like the idea yeah. of just like this minion of, of DMT army, you know, like marching to Congress or... <laughs> be a, a cool group of characters it would be a cool sure. group of characters man. i'd like to hang out with them yeah that's what i love about this world i meet the most interesting people it's mm -hmm. it's just it never uh fails to fascinate me but uh so you finished this film now now what are you on to next what's what's oh, going on wow. you're working on another film <laughs> a, a website it, it just seems like it's really amazing, and I'm I'm really impressed with your work and your ability you. to just work to shift paradigms instead of wasting energy uh, on the old, just completely yeah. inventing the new. Well, DMT and and my psychedelic exploration and just kind of my new spirituality that's come out of that has really given me my path, and this is going to be my life's work. That's all I can say. Um, several of the projects that have come out of this now, once I started to think about how I was navigating my narrative with DMT and psychedelics, I came up with this kind of four-part manifesto. Um, and the first part of that is pure awareness of being. Now that can come through psychedelics. It can come through meditation in any number of ways, but it's just being aware of self, right? Um, from that, we can't live in this pure psychedelic state, but we live in this three-dimensional space. And, and uh, my question was like, well, what am I bringing back again? What, what am I doing? to show or to experience what I had here and making the 3D world a better place, you know, and, and the next project is ground to being, and it's looking at, you know, how are we growing food? How are we treating animals? How are we treating one another? How are we pulling resources from the earth? Uh, from that, uh, goes into the celebration of that. What is the celebration of spirit, that celebration of being, and we, we live in an amazing place. Um, even though it seems a little screwed up, it's an amazing experience to be alive. So how are we celebrating that? And we're looking at, uh, music and the computer being the first global folk instrument where all of these musicians around the world are sharing their traditional music and mythology with the rest of the world through the electronic realm. Um, and that's changing culture a lot as well. Uh, and then the last part about the last documentary that fills out this kind of manifesto is what we call it open source reality. And open source reality is looking at language and technology and kind of the merging of this um, new story that's coming out. And again, I think our, our old mythologies are not serving us well anymore. So there has to be this, I think, a real time by the masses creating this story. Um, and I think we can do that. You start to see that with, with psychedelics. Um, two other projects that we're working on, uh, the culmination of this manifesto is a D. And mm -hmm. a D is a Sanskrit word for enlightenment or to shine light upon. And we're looking at evolution of human species, but also the whole planet, and then taking a kind of a, a science fiction approach and showing it from an extraterrestrial point of view, uh, where they're trying to share back our story and say, hey, wake up. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, and then the last one, we're looking at a new film that is going to be uh, 
looking at ayahuasca, even though I said I would never make another psychedelic film, <laughs> we are, and we're doing I don't it. Think you're ever, it's like me. Once you get sucked in this vortex, yeah. you're never going to come out. You know, That's you just it. have to relinquish control and just let your creativity be used by the universe to translate this message. And the medicine you know? tells, you know, it, it gives me messages. Um, and, and this is, this is part of it. Um, and so with my, with my business partner and collaborator, Steve McDonald, we were working on this new ayahuasca film that's going to be looking at the global extent of what it is and how it's reaching all of these people around the world, how it's making a difference. Um, and looking at that global, global shift, you know, through the plants making their way around the world. So we have a lot going on there, but with all of that, we're also creating a, a new web platform that's going to be connected from your you know, mobile device all the way through to television and looking at socially conscious media um, that could be documentary or nonfiction based, but it can also have fiction elements. And then on this platform, we'll have curators that, that fill these different channels where the documentaries, you know, kind of solidify these four different channels um, that will be feeding media and things through those and ideas through that stuff. But we also take an open source approach to our media. So everything that we're shooting for all of these projects, we're putting back out on the platform for our fans and our audience to utilize and hopefully go create new films, new stories out of this stuff, uh, music, and, or even just share it with community members. So really trying to kind of enliven that a little bit, um, fill out a story that we feel is positive, but it's not telling you how it is. It's, it's encouraging you to go explore yourself and, and try to find those answers for yourself. So there's a lot going on, but again, this is my life's work and I'm not going anywhere. This is what I'm doing and I'm here to hopefully make a difference. Yeah. And you are, and, and the plant medicines are lucky to have you on their side. <laughs> Thanks. I feel blessed and honored to, to be a part of that. Whether you had a choice or not. You know? <laughs> so how can our listeners uh, connect with you? Well, um, the spiritmolecule.com is the website for the film. Um, and then also on Facebook's another great place. We have a, a huge feed on the DMT spirit molecule, Facebook page. So facebook.com slash the dot spirit dot molecule. <laughs> um, and also this new site and this new experience is called mythify. Um, and this is going to be launching in November and it's M Y T H A P H I. Dot com. So mm. come take a look at that and please come share in that with us and uh, participate with us. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you, Mitch, so much yeah. for coming on. It, it was such a pleasure. I um, am one step closer <laughs> to losing my DMT virginity. Thanks to you. <laughs> it's not my fault. Okay. Yeah. I'll take responsibility for it. <laughs> yeah, thank wait, you for having me on. Wait till after I've had the experience and then we'll know whether it was good or then bad. Then we're going to have to switch know? it. I'm going to need to actually interview you at that point. Yeah. I, I, yeah. yeah I want to be able to hear about that. Oh, goodness gracious. <laughs> what am I getting myself into? It's all, all right. right. We're going to do it. Thank you so much. <laughs> you bet. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. And if you want to learn more about this podcast or talk about anything Mitch says or learn more about DMT, just head to reset.me in our forums. We have a special section just for the podcast.